and welcome to Pod Rocket. Um, I'm Noel. Uh, joining me today is Matt Pocock. Um, Matt's a developer advocate at Stately AI and part of the XState core team. Um, and as Wes Boss once labeled him, the Rodney Mullen of TypeScript. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Noel. It's lovely to be here. Awesome, awesome. So I guess you yeah, have to jump in. Let's talk about your background a little bit. Um, like what what do you do as a dev advocate at Stately AI Stately and what made you kind of get into this into this position? Yeah, so I um well it depends how far back you want to go really, but let's let's start with this really, which is I was a part of the X State core team going back a couple of years now. And I got into X State because uh, X State, by the way, is a is a library for building state machines in JavaScript. You may have heard of it. And I was part of that team and I um I thought, wow, this has a lot of potential. And it has a lot of potential because it's a very visual way of building code. So it uses a lot of um, visual formalisms like boxes and arrows, you know, to mean certain things. And and one thing that we always talked about in the team was, could we build a visual way of building state machines? And um, we'll get into what state machines are in a bit. And it just made so much sense to join forces and... Uh, talk about building this cool tooling that we were all thinking about and planning. And I guess in March or April last year, David said, okay, uh, he was working at Microsoft. This is David Korshid, by the way, who's uh, the founder of Stately. He said, I'm working at Microsoft. Uh, I love it, but I've got this idea. Do you want to go in on it with me? And we'll, uh, we'll try and build some stuff. And we all just said, yes, okay, sounds great. And then a week later, he'd like quit Microsoft and was starting it and, uh, we all quit our jobs and join Stately. So we're formed really out of the XState core team um, and with a couple of awesome hires and people we've hired kind of this year and stuff. And just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I changed from being a developer there um, to being half developer, half dev advocate. And so now I'm you know, on the airwaves uh, talking about Stately and uh, mostly on Twitter talking about stuff. Uh, I've recorded <laughs> like a, a course this morning for it, you know, all sorts of stuff going on, so it's a really exciting time. Nice, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so let's 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 start uh, kind of higher level, like like you like you um, suggested there. What like what is a state machine, and why should devs care about them today? Yeah. So okay, let's let's approach this from a front end point of view first of all, because you've probably coded something that was really, really complex in the front end, and you probably have felt at some point your tools buckle and break beneath you. Like you've reached the limits of your tools, kind of what they were designed for and really what they were you know, thought of. And a typical example of this, let's say in the React world, is building something using a lot of use effects, right? So if you've used use effect and used React in the past, then you know, and I'm sure other frameworks have tools like this, it's kind of a very, very simple tool, but it's a very sharp knife and you can cut yourself on it very easily. Now, what state charts do, and state machines are kind of like, uh, they're probably something that you might've learned about in, if you did computer science at university, which I didn't, but you know, uh, like state charts, are especially what X state is designed for. And they kind of add layers on top of state machines and make them a bit more usable, a bit more powerful. And what they do is, Basically, they can handle any complex requirements that you might have in the front end. So anything that you think, oh God, I, I really don't know how to build this. State charts allow you to build it because they give you a set of primitives. 
that you can bring to any situation and coordinate, you know, side effects and timers and listeners and all sorts of things all together. And they let you do it with boxes and arrows. So they let you do it visually, which is incredibly cool because you can build anything complex using relatively simple tools. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so I guess what what does that development process look like if you're you know jumping if you want if you want to get started? So this is this would have been a very different conversation like a year ago to what it is now because a mm-hmm. year ago you would kind of take something that uh, take X state let's say download it from npm and you would start building out your machines kind of like with almost like a JSON object basically. So let's say that you have a I don't know you're building let's say you know one of those cards in Netflix where you like. You hover over it and then the video starts playing. You know, relatively complex thing to build. You have the kind of like not hovered state where it's just kind of like chilling and it's not doing anything. And then you that then the, receives an event and then you go into the hovered state. And then there you maybe wait for the video to load or something and you go to the video loaded state and it starts playing. So all of that, like if you code that with use states and use effects or you know, whatever your framework is doing, you're gonna hit some barriers, like it's gonna be hard for for you to really get a high level overview of what's going on. Whereas if it's all in a state chart, if it's all in kind of like this JSON object where you can see where everything goes, then it makes it a lot easier. Whereas now you can actually start building that stuff visually too. So just this year we shipped a tool called the Stately Editor, which is available at stately.ai forward slash editor. And what that does is it allows you to build state machines visually. So you can actually just go there and like click and drag and drop and like build these boxes and arrows really like completely visually. And it's incredibly powerful. It's so cool to use. Nice. So I guess just to help contextualize, what what would the state chart look like for this kind of like a Netflix card editor or, you know, card view with hoverable um, boxes for like, you know, shows? Totally. Um, So we're not in a visual medium, so I will try my best to paint a picture. The idea is, imagine if you have like, um, let's say two big land masses in in the world, like with an ocean between them. Mm -hmm. So on the left side, you would have kind of the not hovered state, right? And the not hovered state, there's nothing going on in it, really. You know, it's it's kind of like America. And let's say you bring it over to the UK (laughs) and then you have this kind of hovered state where all the cool stuff happens and all the history is, you know. And so... (laughs) Then inside there, inside the UK, you can zoom in a little bit and you start seeing regions within it. So then you have, okay, you've got, I don't know, uh, the video loaded state or video loading state where some things are happening. And you can run like what's called a service inside there and kind of add like async behavior, add side effects. And then when that's finished, you can go to somewhere else in there. Like, Or, or if it errors, you can go somewhere else. So it's all about having these kind of like you can look at it from a high level and sort of view this sort of top-down perspective, or you can start zooming in to different functionality and see how everything works. So it's really, really powerful. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so before before you had, or I guess before this visual editor recently came out, how like what what did the development process look like? Like what would you, what would you define? Was it just JavaScript like objects? That, yep, that it's just pure JavaScript things? objects. We had some sort of more rudimentary tools before, so we had like a um, a visualizer, which was kind of like a, a REPL, really. We've, we've still got a, another version of that. In fact, we shipped another version last year, which is where you could just paste your code in and it would show on the left-hand panel what your state chart was looked like. And even that is pretty powerful because you can just take your code and visualize it and see what's going on. And like, it's, it's pretty cool. But having drag and drop 
it just makes the whole library a lot easier to learn and a lot more intuitive. I see. That, that was kind of my next question was, have you, have you guys found, have you guys found teams struggle to like ramp on new developers who you know haven't spent a significant amount of time in the front end space? Like this seems like a pretty, um, I don't, know, I don't know if abstract concept is the right like phrase, but th- it seems like it'd be quite a few jumps for you know someone who is new to web dev to just kind of like leap into. Have you guys encountered that? Totally. It's, it's a whole different way of thinking, actually. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it's harder to convince people who are more entrenched in web dev than it is to teach a beginner. Because if you're really entrenched in web dev and you think, okay, right, like, um, you know, I do this imperative stuff. All my stuff is kind of like in these async function calls. I like, you know, manage it all through React or whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, it's just harder to break out of that mental model and start thinking of everything in terms of states and events and services and actions, etc. So there is a lot of terminology to learn, but there's a lot of terminology to learn in traditional web dev as well, you know, like... And so state charts, like we're in the process of, you know, rewriting the docs at the moment, like making a lot of this stuff more beginner friendly. And we think actually if we if you show this stuff to a beginner, they get it, right? Because it's so much more visual than the traditional uh, web dev approach. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Have you found that, yeah, like the this, the drag and drop editor is is making that quite a bit easier? for Totally. It's, it's revolutionary, especially like... One of the things that we've focused on as well is integrating it into tooling. So we have a VS Code extension where you can actually just like have your code on the left-hand panel and have the visual stuff on the right-hand panel. You drag and drop and it changes your code. Like when you have that level of integration, it just feels so cool to work on this stuff. And like, it just makes it so much more maintainable as well because let's imagine that you inherit a code base and you say, okay, right, this this code was written two years ago. Like, state charts have been around as a formalism for like, th- I can't remember. I always I always go like, oh, it's a number of years. I think it's like between 30 and 50 or something crazy. Um, so it's not going to change. And you inherit this code from two years ago and imagine you could just click, okay, open the visual editor and I just get to see how it works. I get to simulate it. It's, it's so cool. Nice, nice. So I guess... Um... Coming in, like, like, say, say, you know, you're, 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 they're trying to sell the typical entrenched reactive where you're saying it's hard to get buy-in from sometimes. Um, and, you know, they, they've encountered these cases where they have built components and they get hairy and they, you know, have gone in, but they, they're, 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 they've spent enough time in the space where they know, they know a lot of the common pitfalls and they are pretty good at separating concerns and like mitigating that. How do you sell how do you sell kind of state machine-based logic and, and using state charts to simplify your developer experience to those people that are so entrenched? Like what's, what's the pitch there? Yeah. The idea is, is you use it for complex things, right? You use it for the most critical infrastructure in your app, for the most um, uh, like difficult stuff that you had to work on and code. And you'll know when you need it. You know you, you know the feeling of when your tools start creaking under you and you feel like you can't express what you want to express or you keep shipping bugs or things like that. You know, Like it's just so, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that I think we're all pretty familiar with, the sensation of sort of riding on the seat of your pants and not quite stretching your tools to the limit, you know? So if you're feeling that, like maybe state charts are something you should consider 
Because even if you don't end up using uh, X state itself, actually just knowing about sort of finite states and knowing about um, the tools that X state gives you and the mental models it gives you is is pretty powerful, you know. And um, you can take that and, and put it in your normal um, use state, use effect stuff. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I guess I'm, I'm curious, have you found that there's like a common journey that a lot of the um, members of the uh, X state core team like have been on together like do, do people did people arrive at this kind of affinity for you know like state-based development from from a common background it's a really good question actually because i think it comes from just like uh fury and terror at the current <laughs> tools you know and like and just you know i think you ship one too many bugs and you realize there must be a better way and for me, it was about, I was working at an agency and actually the Netflix video card is actually a perfect example because I was working at a company that um, did a lot of work with like TV companies actually. And so the Netflix video card was something that they wanted. And I that was one of the last things that I coded in Use State and Use Effect. And I thought, oh, oh God, this code is just so awful. Man, this is, this is terrible. And I, as I was building it, I thought, right, if they stretch requirements or if they change things or if they like, if there's something new that comes out of this, I'm going to have to dive into this code, which is spread out over like four component layers, like including a carousel, all that stuff. And I'm going to have to try and change it. And I left that company and then I joined a different company and I started working on a, um, like a call app, uh, like. It was it was a really cool application actually. It was kind of like it's called Agent Relay, and it, it like walks you around. Um, you could explore a um, a property remotely with your estate agent, which was pretty cool. So on a video call with them, like going around this place, and I did that in Xstate, and the difference was night and day. I could look at the state chart that I built, and I just go, okay, I know exactly what's happening, and if I need to change something or new requirements come in. Every single requirement is captured in one place. It's not spread out over components. It's not in one big sort of like uh, component even. It's just in one place and I can just, you know, add anything I need to. And that was the light bulb moment for me. That's when I started joining the X-State core team. And uh, one of the people in our community, we have a Discord, by the way, which is discord.gg forward slash X-State. Um, we'll get one of the people the in our Discord. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, called Rob Penner. He was building something in the back end, actually, which was it helped two Steinway pianos like communicate with each other. It was crazy, so cool, and like yeah, you just you had like, this... play one, and it would like like you know make the other one like the hammers fire on the other one. Is that what yeah? I, I don't I don't know what the details were, but like yeah, no, it okay. was basically yeah. like linking up those two things, and it's yeah. so cool. And he used Xdate for it as like a um, as like a medium in between them. Because X state, you don't mm -hmm. need to use it with React, you can use it with, with anything. Gotcha. And I just thought, wow, if one library can fix all my problems and fix all of his problems, totally different problems, then it must be something special. Yeah, nice, nice, very cool. I, that's I kind of that kind of led into my next my next question is 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 my understanding correct that most X state users are using it for like web based front end work, but it is it is it's agnostic. Right? Like it's just a JavaScript framework. You could use it for back end code as well. Just a JavaScript framework, yeah. It's it's yeah. vanilla JS. You can run it in React Native. You can run it in React. You can run it in Node. You can run it in Deno. You can run it wherever you like. Um, 
so yeah, like uh, some of the work that I've done, like when I discovered Xday, I sort of thought, okay, I'm going to use Xday for everything. Perfect, lovely. Uh, and I started putting it in like backend lambdas and that sort of thing, and um, I'm putting it there, and it's still pretty cool. Like you can see everything that's um, that's going on. You know, you've got all the visual elements, everything like that. I've also used it a lot in CLIs, and in fact, when I was working with that CLI, um, I noticed that Gatsby. It's backend build process. Gatsby is a JavaScript framework. Yeah, and for the, the website and blog. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It uses XState for its build process for managing cool. all of these like parallel um, running processes for listening for watch events, all that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. anything complex, basically, use XState or consider. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting kind of on the on the CLI front. Um yeah, I'm also I'm also sitting here like I, I do a lot of work on uh, Discord bots like to to bring it around, and I'm I think that I think that there'd be a lot of good use cases here because there it's like it's there's very controlled inputs and outputs, but it's easy to it would be easy to represent those you know as as states in a state machine. Um, most of them are not as complex where I've run into these kinds of issues, but I think that that might be a good like learning platform for me if I wanted to jump in a little bit deeper. Um, that leads me to another question of if if there are devs who are interested in like they they want to get into this but they they really spend all their professional time like working on some large code base and um it can be tricky to d- determine where to start i think i think you said before that like if you have some core that's really complex that's a good that's a good use case for xstate is like is it easy to kind of take xstate and add it piecemeal to an existing code base like to a given react component for example yeah, definitely. It's not like a framework like Redux, which demands a um, a certain style of uh, architecture from you. It doesn't make mm-hmm. any demands of you like that. You can gotcha. have it in one component in your application and then not use it at all anywhere else. You know, It's incredibly minimal. You can put it at the root of your app if you want to and have a kind of global state machine. That's what we do for a lot of stuff, actually, that we build internally. Um, but yeah, it can be as small and as unobtrusive as you like. Nice, nice, awesome. Um, maybe maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, stately. Like, what is stately's relationship with XState? Yep. So stately is the XState core team. Basically, we are okay, obviously a, a company, and like we are basically we are interested in maintaining XState and like keeping XState running. Like one of the things that we're doing right now is actually just as a company getting together, rewriting the XState documentation. We're going to push out a, um, a version five of XState. XState has been in version four for I think like two years or maybe longer, like three years maybe. Um, like we really value stability and stuff. So we just sort of kept it on the same major for a long time. But we're looking, we've had a lot of changes that we've wanted to make in a major for a long time. So we're sort of pushing them all together. So yeah, like so, so the open source and the closed source stuff is kind of interchangeable for us. It really is just like um, the VS Code extension, for instance, is open source, but the editor itself is uh, closed source. And so that's kind of where the boundary is and we work across the board and we're actually hiring at Stately as well. So if you want to be an oh, engineer nice. doing that stuff, so please join us. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so so what what else is in... Is there anything else in Stately's purview? So you got you said you had like the VS Code extensions, um, like the work on the core library, which is is also super important. The visual editor. Is there, is there anything else uh, that you guys spend cycles on? Yes, there is some secret stuff that I'm not at liberty to reveal yet, but it has some uh, has some cool implications. Like uh, 
We're, we're looking to use the editor and the visual editor for lots and lots of different things. And uh, we've been hiring developers sort of uh, to cover that stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure those 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 three or four things I listed are a you know a insurmountable amount of work in and of themselves. So I, I, I think I think that's they are, yeah. Work. But there's there's some cool stuff going on under the radar as well. Yeah, nice, awesome, awesome. Um, I, I was in 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 doing my homework for this. I saw that you uh have have a lot of material out online uh, concerning like TypeScript and type generations uh, mm. or type generation. Um, does that is that has that stemmed from your work? Uh, at Stately, or is that kind of a, a separate passion that just has a little bit of overlap? This is a cool story, actually. So, um, yeah, like I've I've learned a lot about TypeScript in the last two years uh, working on the core because XState itself is a very very complex TypeScript library. Um, it's really pushing the boundaries in a lot of ways, and uh, I kind of credit my colleague um, uh, Andres Rake on Twitter or Mateusz Brzezinski. Mateusz Brzezinski, um, for that. He's kind of a, a real TypeScript genius. He's absolutely hoovers up this stuff. And so working with him is a pleasure. Um, for me, that's what that's enabled me to do is kind of learn a lot more about it. And my initial in, in the XState core, was working on a library that basically took XState, like the code in your application, and spit out some stuff that would help make it more type safe. And it was called XState CodeGen at the time. And I used it in production. It was really, really good. And um, like, because XState is, it's like its API was never really designed for TypeScript. It's just like a big object that you kind of um, do stuff with. And that's not really very conducive to good generics and that sort of thing. So, and it took a long time for us, but um, we always talked about like bringing this XState CodeGen stuff into core so that loads of people could benefit from this TypeScript goodness that we were we were doing. And about three months ago, we finally did. There is now an official XState CLI that uh, takes your um, takes your application code and like spits out type generation stuff, and it's like built into the VS Code extension. It's integrated with everything, and so you can get this crazy, beautiful TypeScript experience. One of the best actually around, uh, just with a little bit of um, extra fiddling and extra little tips. So that's one of the, my proudest contributions to Stately, I think. And, and Andres helped me all the way too. Nice, nice. So so uh, just to reiterate that once you said that there's a CLI and then like the this logic is also used in the VS Code extension. What, what does the CLI do like, if you're only using that? Yep. So it's basically what it does. Um, if you have an X state machine in one file, let's say like machine.ts, mm-hmm. and then what the CLI would do is it would sort of generate a file alongside that, which is like machine.typegen.ts, which gives you some sort of like extra extra stuff to go in there. What the VS Code extension does is it just means you don't have to run the watch process in the CLI. So it just sort of goes like, blah, 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 and it's all good. And just building that in just helps helps everyone really. And it means that people who don't want to use the VS Code extension can still use the typegen, et cetera. Nice, nice. Um, this is a weirdly specific question, but if you're working on a project under source control and you're like trying to run this, do you guys recommend that you commit those generated type files or let the Great question. You git ignore them always. Okay. Yeah. So any generated code should never be, uh, in your, um, uh, in your, in your git essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. In the, in the, in the, but yeah, I've, I've 
I've encountered some libraries kind of in, in this type generation space where they're like, oh, it's faster if you just check them in. And then it's never consistent. We always like, you know, it's always like super noisy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't feel like this needs to be under source control. It's not. Yeah. Just, just run it on a post install basically. And then it will always yeah. be there and updated when you dev all that stuff. Nice. Nice. Um, I guess when, when you were, uh, when, when you set out to do this and build this, build this type generation logic, was there, was the, um, my vocabulary is failing me slightly, but were, were the uh, APIs like similar enough that it was there, there was parity and it was easy to do? Or were there any shortcomings where there were cases that you were not able to generate types for consistently? Yeah, it's a really, really good question because it's, it's super complex. Um, so just like an architectural overview, what we did was um, essentially the problem space is we have a file, like a, a string essentially of code where there may or may not be uh, state machines in that code. How do we understand what's in that code in terms of its machines? How do we pull that out? And then like, then the type generation is sort of secondary, right? When you understand all of the bits in the file and you have that kind of Thanos level power of, I understand everything, you know, and like from there you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Like all of our visualization stuff comes from there. All the visual editor stuff is powered by the ability to extract machines out of the code. So how do we do that? We did that by, uh, we tried like four different methods. Uh, the first one I did will actually use like ES build to like compile your application and like run that code actually, which like didn't work. <laughs> Essentially was quite slow, even though we were using ES build and all that stuff. And we tried a couple of other methods and the method we landed on was an AST based parser, which uh, I think I wrote and, and Anders helped. And it basically just looks at the abstract syntax tree, just like ESLint does, which is super fast. And because XState is mostly just a JSON object, um, it works really well and works consistently. And so it means that you can just sort of look for things that look like a machine and then grab it and extract the information. Gotcha, gotcha. And then, and then I guess, yeah, so then, then once you're in that state and you've found all of the machines and can parse them, is, is generating types for them pretty easy? It's when you know all the information about it, you then need to generate something which uh, can essentially represent all of the, so, okay, something that we have in XState and a problem that we were trying to solve is that you can, imagine you have the two land masses again, right? You have your two states, then you have states inside states and states inside states. You need to know essentially all of the states and their hierarchy in order to generate um, some types, right? And that's really hard to do in TypeScript, um, especially with kind of the legacy stuff that we had left, left over in V4. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, but what you basically want to do is generate a list of strings that represent that entire hierarchy, you know, a.b, a.b.c, a.b.c.d. So we, what we did was we basically just wrote that to an interface. Uh, like a TypeScript object in this kind of companion file. And we wrote a bit of code that would insert it back into your machine. And it would insert it into your machine. And then it would go through the core library types. And the core library types would have to then work out this information and work out what to do with it. So it was an enormously complex project in terms of type stuff, like doing stuff I've never seen done before in a type in a TypeScript library. And I don't think that's, I've never seen that as a pattern anywhere else, actually. Like usually generation just sort of like pumps out code that you then import directly. Whereas this was like importing or, or creating the 
the file, importing it for you, but actually not creating any runtime overhead at all. It's just another type that just gets added, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I have either encountered encountered <laughs> anything that works that way. Yeah, interesting. Were there any were there any uh, kind of fundamental problems that you guys encountered when you when you started down this path that you didn't expect, or did you did it all? Once you realized this was the approach you wanted to take, did it all line up pretty nicely? Well, we we took a bunch of other approaches and found fundamental problems with them, basically. Sure. So yeah. the other approaches we had was we created like a new, um, my first approach was to create a new dummy uh, package, like xState compiled, essentially, sure. yeah. which you would then import from, essentially. And so there you could like plug in all these crazy types and they would live in your node modules, basically. But it just didn't feel good, really. And then you need yeah. to change all your imports and stuff. Whereas this, you literally just like um, add a flag to the machine, save the file, and it's done instantly. Yeah. So nice. cool. That's nice. awesome. Um, I guess, yeah, to, to, to pull us out of the weeds a little bit and reel us back, kind of in, in this space of uh, tooling that exists to help developers manage complexity abstractly, is, do you guys have kind of major competitors or other people you're looking at in the industry who are doing either similar stuff with state machines or with like with with X state specifically? Yeah, like it's it's quite a like a rare space. Not that many people are doing it. Um, we're sort of bumping into like people or, or workflows that we consider competitors um, kind of quite often. Because let's say that you're like planning a feature. Um, Really, we we want you to be using something like our diagramming tool in order to like properly plan it, to simulate it, so that everyone can understand it, and you can like pass it off to the devs. You know, like there's a lot of potential here for like um, product to design to dev handoff really being improved if people are using this stuff. So like tools like Whimsical, tools like Excaladraw, uh, Miro, Miro or Mira, can't remember, um, are sort of like competitors in that space. In terms of like other companies doing things with state charts, there's like Yakindu is the one that really sort of comes to mind. Um, but they're more focused on like, uh, I don't actually know much about what they do, but they're not in the JS world at all, really. They're focused more on um, other languages and kind of low level code. Uh, so I think we're sort of fairly unique in, in a couple of fronts really, but I mean, I, there's, there's so many tools that are saturated right now that are, are all about sort of helping devs to plan stuff. And like, if if we can just get a little slice of that pie and pull those people into um, uh, using a bit of stately tooling, then that's a win for us. Would you say that uh, you are your? I guess the focus of stately is really at that planning level, or is it more kind of well, we we, we know what we want to have, we, we know what we want to build. Like the design is now just to figure out implementation. Like which of those two points do you think yep. stately fits into? Yeah, I think Stately can cover both. So if you think of this like, um, if you imagine planning on a state chart in a sort of very high level, you basically have this sort of formalism where you go, okay, we need to go from this state to this state to this state. That does not need to be precise. Like it doesn't need to be like accurate for a dev to be able to go, okay, I get what you mean. And it's like, imagine that a product owner is, is building this. They don't know nothing about state charts, but they can plug together boxes and arrows. They know what they're doing there. And they understand boxes within boxes. They understand that. And so when you get to that point and a dev goes to them and goes, okay, well, we might need to add like a loading state here, or this might need like an error state associated with it. Let me just sort of formalize this a little bit, turn this into my language. Like 
you hand that back to the product owner, they can still see what they built, basically. And the dev can still see, like, now that it, that's just ready to go into production code. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's the crazy thing, really. Like, you can work at different levels of fidelity. Yeah, nice, nice. Cool. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to see... Like it'd, be, it'd be cool to be in an organization doing that, uh, like end to end. Are you guys? Do you guys have users that you know, kind of like are that that bought into the ecosystem that you work with? Totally, yeah. Well, I mean, XState is used in tons of different companies. Like mm-hmm. it's used in the Lego Group a lot. It's used in uh, AWS and Microsoft in um, in Apple. Like it's, it's used everywhere. Like awesome. it's so uh, entrenched in the industry, and it's especially used in places like where they really value robustness and they have a lot of complex problems to solve. You know. So yeah. it's it's not necessarily like very beginner friendly because a lot of beginners are not focused on the really complex issues. Um, whereas having XState in your toolbox is, is so useful for so many things. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess when you, um, this is kind of kind of in the same vein. Then are, are there are there other libraries that are uh, kind of kind of focused on state charts that are not JavaScript JavaScript libraries that you guys like, look at quite a bit? You know, like, I mean, I'm, ju- I'm sure. JavaScript libraries that are focused on, uh, on other languages, like, it's, it's other other you know uh, state chart frameworks, not 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 JavaScript based. Uh, let me think. I don't. None of them come to mind. I know that there's some in like .NET and like a couple of sure. other languages. Uh, like uh, I'm I'm kind of like a, a terrible like I'm I'm really bad at learning languages. Basically, I basically <laughs> learned like TypeScript like or JavaScript like seven years ago or something. And I've been like trading off that ever since. You know, sure. so I'm not very yeah. aware of the stuff that's happening in other languages. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess I was kind of where I was going with that is I was curious if there was kind of you know a more um, lower lower level like academic pursuit of like what what like how should we be how should we be developing state machine-based tooling to empower devs, you know, to write code in whatever their language of choice is. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so. I mean, that that question has like a very storied history because the right. guy who yeah. came up with state charts called David Harrell, uh, he's an acad- academic and he was working with the Israeli flight school, basically, or uh, the pilot program or, the, or uh, basically building planes and building safer planes. And what he wanted was a visual formalism that sort of like, he could go into these meetings with pilots, with all these different people, and everyone could understand what they were building. And so what what he ended up with was this basically state charts. And he formalized this into you know, parallel states and services actions, all that stuff. And they had this great big sort of board up on the wall and like with everything basically inside the plane and what it was doing. And this pilot came in and he sort of said, oh, what's that? He said, oh, it's a, you know, it's a state chart or it's a what the plane does and he looked at it for a while and he said oh that's that's wrong that little that little arrow yeah. that's going there should go there you know yeah, I mean? yeah. it's just just widens the barrier mm-hmm. for contributing to these complex systems yeah that's that's a that's, that's a powerful story i think because it's you know typ- typically you know uh engineers are in this space where we, d- we can't imagine that the user would have any grasp of what like what we're trying to architect and build um so yeah that's super cool i, I yeah like Kind of amidst amidst this conversation and preparing for it, I was I was thinking back to like my computer languages course in school. Like I'm really reaching into the memory banks here, but yeah, I, I feel like I remember my my professor talking about like writing code that is bug free on day one. He he was very much into this like we we need to be using you have well defined grammars like optimally using a state machine like that's that's how we write code that is not going to have bugs once you 
publish it. it doesn't like you know you can, you can even get ninety eight percent one hundred percent test coverage and still have bugs because you do not understand all of the states of your system. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think he, he always like told some story about NASA, you know, code on a satellite or something being being yep. a good application here. There you go. And those implicit states are like everywhere yeah. in terms of how we communicate to each other in our organizations. You know, like yeah. have have you ever received a design from a designer and thought? Oh, there's an implicit state there. They've missed something. I'm going to yeah. have to work out what that looks like because they didn't think of it. You know, oh, and all the, time. all the time, right? Like it's it's yeah. that is the design developer handoff in a sentence, essentially. Yeah. Implicit state. What about what about X Y Z is always the yeah. dev question, right? Like what about X Y Z? Yeah, it's what about the state that's what about not covered? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas if that mm-hmm. is written in black and white and mm-hmm. it's somewhere central in your organization, and you can all kind of refer to it and go. Oh, I see. We missed something there. You know, if you can make like that's the kind of organization I want to be a part of. You know, because you're really um, you're really focused on uh, like I, I I imagine a version of like Jira where everyone is working <laughs> off the same state chart and you like assign different uh, jobs based on like what states people yeah. should be building, assign designs mm-hmm. per state, all that sort of stuff. It's state chart driven development, basically. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, that's 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 an awesome vision. Um, that's that's probably as good a place as any. Is there is there anything kind of coming down the pipe that you guys are working on uh, at Stately at large that you can talk about? I know we touched on this a little bit already, um, but but anything else you're you're excited about for the future? Well, for me personally, I'm taking some of the TypeScript learnings that I've uh, been working on over the past couple of years and like all, all my experience sort of leading teams of uh, TS developers before that. And I'm working on an advanced TypeScript course, uh, which you can look at at mattpocock.com, uh, which should be launching sometime this year. In terms of stately stuff, uh, yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff coming down the pipe. Watch out for um, for V5 that's launching soon. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm sort of doing tons of like tip videos these days on um, on Twitter, sort of focusing on XState and uh, focusing on TypeScript as well. So feel free to follow me at mpocock, uh, mpocock1. I really need to get a better Twitter username. But uh, yeah, just watch this space, really. And there's uh, some really exciting stuff that I can't talk about yet that we'll be launching soon. No worries. Yeah, we'll, we'll have, have listeners keep their eyes out. Cool. Um, we'll get links to all that in the show notes so people can find it. Um, awesome. Well, well, thanks for coming on and chatting with me, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, been really, really fun. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.